0: إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستهديه ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا محمدًا عبده ورسوله وَنَبِيُّهُ وَصَفِيُّهُ وَحَبِيبُهُ بلَّغِ الرِّسَالَةَ وَأَدَّى الْأَمَانَةَ وَنَصَحَ لِلْأُمَّةَ وجاهد في سبيل الله حتى أتاه اليقين وَتَرَكَنَ كان على المحجة البيضاء ليلها كنهارها لا يزيغ عنها إلا هالك فاللهم صلِّ وسلِّم على سيدنا محمدٍ في الأولين وصلِّ وسلِّم على سيدنا محمدٍ في الآخرين وصلي وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الملأ الأعلى إلى يوم الدين وصلي وسلم على سيدنا محمد في كل وقت وحين وعلى آله الأطهار وعلى أصحابه الأخيار وعلى أتباعه الأبرار إلى يوم الدين يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة وَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الْهَدْيِ هَدْيِ سَيِّدِنَا وَمَوْلَانَا رَسُولِ اللَّهِ وَإِنَّ شَرَّ الْأُمُورِ لَمُحْدَثَاتُهَا وَكُلِّ مُحْدَثَةٍ بِدْعَ وَكُلِّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَ وَكُلِّ ضَلَالَةٍ فِي النَّارِ The Prophet David a.s. he says in the Psalms as is narrated by the Prophet صلى الله عليه a.s. from the wisdom of the believer أَنْ يَكُونَ مُدْرِكًا بمك... بِشَأْنِهِ عَعَلِمًا بِزَمَانِهِ That part of the characteristics of the believer is that they know what they're doing. And they know at what time they live. That the believer is mudrikan بِشَأْنِهِ That the matters that relate to the believer, they understand those matters. If they are working, they understand what that means. If they are a student, they understand what that means. If they have a family, they understand what that means. If they have uh, some amount of wealth or income, they understand how to deal with that. So on and so forth. This is the sign of the believer that they know how to deal with their own issues. And they know what time they live in. They understand the moment in which they live. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says in the Quran, nas The days, the verse obviously revealed as a reference to the Battle of Badr and the Battle of Uhud. Because you know, in Bedr the, the Prophet won, and then in Uhud, you know, it was sort of like a stalemate, and more Muslims died, so on and so forth. But the abstract meaning of the verse, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is teaching the Prophet, teaching the believers that these days they alternate. One day is for you, one day is against you. One day things will be good, one day things will not be good. One day you'll be up, one day you'll be down. One day you'll be healthy, one day you'll be sick. And so on and so forth, as it abstracts beyond the individual, beyond the family, beyond the community, beyond the nation. That the way the world works, وَتِلْكَ nas. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says in the Quran, وَذَكِّرْهُمْ bi ayamillah. And remind them of the days of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning, remind them, us, as a reminder for us to remind each other of those important days in history, of those important events in history in which we see manifest Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's actions. Of course, Allah is manifest at every moment. But those mega issues, those mega events, whether they are celebratory events, As in independence or freedom, you know these type of things, or whether they be moments that we reflect, moments that are somber, we remember this catastrophe or that, or you know, uh, battle or the loss of life, and we reflect on a somber moment, or it's a a a day of thanksgiving, in which we thank Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala for all that we have, so on and so forth. These are what we call, the Quran calls, the days of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. These three principles, this verse from the Psalms that the, the believer knows their things, know the time that they live. And these two verses in the Quran remind us of something very important, a very important lesson that we have. That when we look at history, or we look at time, or we look at the course of events, we see that history is what we, as we call it, is cyclical. Meaning that it tends to repeat itself. Not that we are in a wheel and you know it's, we're just repeating the thing verbatim like Groundhog Day or something, like not like that. But it's cyclical that there are patterns in history. You know who understands patterns very much? If you talk to a financial expert, if you talk to a trader or an investor, they're very obsessed with this concept of patterns. What is the pattern of the market? How do they correlate one asset class to another? Because this informs them how they invest How to hedge How to bet that this will go up or this will go down So if you think that patterns is not important Listen to some of these experts in investments And see the, the, the extent that they spend each day Simply reading historically Even to the point of reading old newspapers Of major market fluctuations To find out what the pattern is but in these verses and in this wisdom that Dawood alayhi, Dawood, alayhi salam, leaves us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, well, this idea of a pattern exists for everything, exists for human behavior, not just financial behavior. This pattern we call sunan. This is what the Muslims call these patterns. What are the patterns of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What are the sunnas, the way in which certain things happen. Which is why when Imam al razi comes to do his massive tafsir of the Qur'an, he says there are two Qur'ans. There is Kitabullah al-Mastoor, there is the written Qur'an, the, the, the book that we have, the Mus'haf that we have, 6,236 verses, 114 chapters, 30 juz' This is Kitabullahil al-Mastoor. But there's also Kitabullah al-Manzoor, there is the observable universe. The observable universe, everything that we observe, whether it be the physical universe, whether it be financial history, whether it be political history, whether it be the history of animals and fossils and environmental history, all of this, Imam al-Razi, he said this is the other Quran of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The observable Quran that we are called upon in Allah's book to reflect on. Al Allaha <laughs> wa wa'ala junubihim. Allah praises the believer who remember Allah standing, sitting and lying down and contemplate on the created universe. To contemplate on these patterns. To contemplate upon the cycle of human behavior. Because if we understand human behavior, when when Sayyidina Dawood says that the believer knows the time that they live in, that also implies that you have to compare the time that you live in with another time to understand how you're supposed to function. And the, the whole, our whole faith, in a sense, is a set of principles and blueprints that we can use as a lens when we look back to history to understand and interpret these cycles of time, these patterns of human history. And look at the generations before us. You know, the Muslims, they were obsessed with knowledge. They, they had an insatiable appetite to learn everything. After the, the, the passing of the Prophet wasallam, and as the, I want to I use the word Islamic State, but obviously now people think that means something else. But after the, you know, after Medina and Mecca, the, 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 real, the real state of the Prophet as it started to expand into other territories, And there were governors here, and there was governors there, and then the Khilaf, and then Sayyidina Umar radiallahu and he establishes the the different divisions of the government, the treasury, and so on and so As it starts to expand, and the Muslims start to encounter other ways of thinking, other languages. They thought that this was the greatest thing they've ever discovered. And they went on this unstoppable journey to translate everything that they found, to learn everything that they encountered, To study it, to argue it, to debate it, it was unstoppable. And that's why the early, the early generations of the ulama, they wrote about world history. You'll find, and you know, some of it is good, and some of it is so-so, and some of it is a little weird, but they took everything that they found. And they said, Okay, we're gonna write a history from the beginning of creation until the Prophet. And we're not gonna only work on the Qur'an and the Sunnah of the Prophet Wasallam, but we're going to look at the, the traditions of the other people before us. We're going to look at the traditions of the Jews because many of the stories of the Anbiya come also from the Torah and from rabbinic sources. We're going to look at Christian sources, even though that's a little bit more narrow as it relates to Christ Salam. We're going to look at everything. We want to know everything. Because they had this principled-based approach to Islam, what we call usul, They had a set of principles that they were confident in. They were able to go and encounter other ways of thinking. You know, I have seen Arabic translations of Pythagoras. There are Arabic translations of Plato and Aristotle. I mean, obviously the, the Torah and the Hebrew Bible and the, and the Gospels, this was translated early on. I mean, this was like a no-brainer. But all of these other bodies of knowledge, Indian wisdom, Eastern wisdom, Western wisdom, ancient wisdom, the Muslims were obsessed with these things, obsessed. And every time they would capture something, and they would translate something, and they would understand something, it would cause an internal conversation amongst the ulama. What does this mean vis-a-vis our principles? What does this mean vis-à-vis the patterns that we know that we have inherited from the Prophet ﷺ? And this is the meaning of the verse: وَإِنْ تَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ فَرُدُوهُ إلَى اللَّهِ ورسولي. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أطِيعُوا اللَّهَ وَأُولِي الْأَمْرِ مِنْكُمْ The verse begins, "O you who believe, obey Allah and obey the Prophet ﷺ, and those that are responsible for you." وَإِنْ تَنَازَعْتُمْ But if you argue about something, refer it back to the book, the Quran, and to the Prophet. So we have a set of principles that we can go back to. So this, this did not have the effect of causing a shaking of, of the faith of the belief of the Muslims. Oh, what does this mean? Oh, these people say this, oh, these people say that. Rather they would take this and they would go back and they say, what does this mean vis-a-vis our principles? Is this acceptable? Is this not acceptable? Does this help understand something that we don't have details about? Which is why many of our stories are ancient stories. Are, the details of them are filled with the details that we have inherited from the Jewish faith and the Christian faith. And the Muslims, they never saw a problem with this. We don't know the name of Moses' mother. We don't know how big the basket was. You know, we don't, these little details that neither add nor subtract to the basis of the Islamic faith, we have supplemented with this ancient history, with this ancient inherited wisdom. This was the attitude of the Muslims, this was the attitude of the ulama. And it strengthened their faith. Because when you are, as long as your faith is built correctly from the beginning, but if you have that, and you encounter something that's foreign, it's going to force you to articulate for your own self, your own belief. And I witnessed this, alhamdulillah, my own, my own, my own personal experience. I was you know, blessed, as many of you know, to study uh, other world uh, faiths and religions. For about 10 years, I spent studying mainly... The Eastern faiths, Hinduism and Buddhism and Jainism and you know, these things. Either you know, I studied the Western faiths as well, but I, I focused on the Eastern faiths. And every time I would study something, I found myself saying, subhanAllah, that's amazing. You know, we have a hadith, it reminds me of a hadith that I heard, it's kind of like this. It reminds me of a verse, there's a, an interpretation of this verse that means that. And never once did I encounter this and feel like, oh, my, my faith is going to be lost. Because it forced me to articulate for myself first and foremost, and, and publicly when I would uh, comment and I would discuss with the professor and my colleagues, it would force me to articulate my own position. But if you spend your whole time with people that are just like you, that think just like you, that you, know, you maybe you have the same profession, maybe you live in the same area, you do the same thing over, you kind of uh, dull those senses. So somebody asks you, why do Muslims say this, why do Muslims say that? You say, I don't know, Just that's just how it is. Which is fine, it's okay. But when you are thrown into another mix, in which you have a different way of thinking, you are forced to articulate your idea. You are forced to articulate your belief. You are forced to contemplate on what this really means. Is this something really from the kitab and from the sunnah, or is this something extra? So you start to think and you start to reflect. And you have a higher, you emerge with a higher level of understanding. This is the confidence of the believer, and this was the confidence of the generations before us. So we have history of everything the history of creation, the history of cities, the history of even sects, S E C T S. Even the history of sects we have, and the history of sex, S E X. The ulama even wrote about that. Over a hundred manuals of how. The intimate relationship between husband and wife are to be practiced. But this is for another time, inshaAllah. But they had confidence in their own faith, in the principles laid out in the Kitab al mastur and the Kitab al-Manzoor. And they used these principles to study even those that attack them. Which is why the ulama of hadith, just by way of example, they have catalogs of all of the weak hadith and all of the forged hadith. Because that's how confident they were in the, in the structure, the intellectual structure of the science of hadith. That we even cataloged and memorized the weak and forged hadith. And we have them. And we know where they are and we know where we can find them lest any one of us falls into them. The confidence that they had. And through this studying, the Muslims, they would look to the past and they would understand these patterns of human behavior. Look at somebody like Ibn Khaldun anhu and his study of, 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 now we call it sociology, but his study of human behavior, understanding the patterns of families, the patterns of generation, the pattern of the city folk versus the Bedouin folk, as he traveled across North Africa and beyond. Just as one example that comes, comes to mind. But by understanding these patterns, they were able to live the moment that they lived in to the max, to benefit the most. And when you have that, that depth and that understanding of history, then you know when you, we encounter something, that there's a way to deal with it, that there's a way to understand. You don't become frazzled, but you become grounded, and you are able to react, you are able to deal with it. And this is why when we come to reflect on the Qur'an, we find that there is this idea of the power of story. The stories are very powerful. In the traditional Muslim uh, cities, some people, their job was just to tell stories. And in some countries, in some cities, this still exists. You'll just find somebody sitting you know, in a cafe or in a marketplace, just telling stories. Maybe they're quote-unquote Muslim stories, or maybe they're you know, a thousand and one night stories, or they're fables, or something like that. But there are storytellers. And the reason we have these stories, let's forget the Qur'anic stories, but the reason we have stories in general is because it infuses and it inculcates certain meanings. Why do we have fables? Like Aesop's fables. al khalila wa-Dimna and all of the, why do we have these fabled stories? Because they impart certain lessons. And when you hear the story, you know if it's like an animal and you know the animals are arguing, it's going to stick. But if I tell you, you know, qala Allah wa qala Rasulullah all the time, maybe 10%, 15% will stick, hopefully more sticks, but it gets a little too much. It's a little too academic. But the stories, they stick. And you know, with stories, you can exaggerate a little bit, right? But the the meaning of the story remains the same. Which is why when the Muslims encountered these stories, even if they were pre Islamic stories and fables, they translated them, If, if the context was Arabic, into Arabic. And they told them, and they studied them, and we have them preserved until today. They didn't go around burning books, they didn't go around burning statues, as we see some people do today, because they were confident in their Islam. And they saw these things as enhancing the power of story. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, al In Surah Yusuf, Allah ta'ala says, we are going to tell you the best of stories. Allah describes the stories of the Qur'an which essentially make the vast majority of the verses of the Quran, as the best of stories, and the word that Allah Taala uses, "ahsan," from the root "hasana," which is also comes the Islamic concept of Ihsan, our spiritual excellence, as we translate it, means not only the best of, the most, the cream of the crop. These are the excellent stories of human history that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has chosen for us to preserve in His book. Not the only stories, but the best of stories. And that's why the stories of the MBA, the stories of the Prophets, Alayhim, form such a big part of the Muslim Muslim consciousness that we have some sort of a, a sense of some sort of link with all of the MBA because the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is at the tail end of this chain of you know amazing human figures. But in these stories, other than the details of the stories, are archetypes for these patterns of human history. So Pharaoh, for example, doesn't just become like the bad guy in the story with Musa and Harun alayhim as But he becomes the archetype for, the, for the, the problem of arrogance. So whenever we think of arrogance, or we think of worldly power, or we think of abuse of power, we tend to call such a person a Pharaoh. So these become archetypes when somebody is afflicted, when a good person is afflicted. Even in in Western parlance we say he has the patience of Job, Ayub When somebody embarks on a never-ending project, we say he's like Nuh building his boat for so many years. So they become archetypes of patience, of sacrifice, of belief, of being tested, ibtila of, of, of being a witness to the truth against even losing one's own life as many of the MBA Anbi- unfortunately were, were killed, assassinated by their people because of their message. And of course we culminate all of these stories with the most detailed and the best of stories of the best of people sallallahu the seerah of the Prophet and other than wanting to know the details as we narrate these stories, as the Quran narrates it, as the Prophet teaches us, we also want to abstract from it these meanings of pattern. How do we deal with these issues, these human issues? Sometimes we feel, and this is sort of the problem of being, you know, where we are, when we are. That no one's ever done this except us, no one's ever experienced this, you know, that kind of thing. But if you look back, you know, I want you to think, whenever you think of something bad, like this morning, unfortunately. And I don't like to talk about specifics without knowing details, but if we, you know, I, I'm sure all of you heard about this uh, attack in London on the, on the tube station. And I, I I'm sorry, I don't know the details, but... When something like this happens, and you know, you, you start, people get depressed, they get overwhelmed, I hope it's not a Muslim, and then you find out it's like some Muslim-sounding name, and then you oh my God, what are they going to do to us now? And we start thinking about all of these things. Imagine what would have been like to live in Baghdad during the Mongol invasion of 1258. You know, Baghdad was not just, or is not just a large city, but this was the capital of the Muslim world, the seat of political power, al Khilafa. The city of unbelievable uh, scholarship and the ulama and, and all of the great saints being there, many of the Ambiyah are buried there, and culture, even to the point that in the Arabic language when you want to say somebody is very pampered, you say tabaghdad. He's become Baghdad, he's like very you know, pampered and lush and you know, fine clothes and fine dining and you know, those kind of things. Why? Because of what that city, imagine if, that city, if you lived there and then the city fell. It would, it would feel like this is Qiyamah, this is it. Everything is gone. The mosques are burned and the, and the Khilafah is on the run. I think he fled somewhere. I can't remember where now. Uh, destruction, destruction, destruction. And then, you know, one or two generations later, these invaders, they all become Muslim. You know, just a few generations later, or maybe one or two generations later, one of the, the descendants of Genghis Khan, he becomes Muslim. I can't remember his name. Anyway, but you understand the point. You see, when you look to history, you can draw meaning from now. And you can put things in comparison. This is not the first time that we experience calamity. This is not the first time in which we find people amongst us saying things in the name of Islam, in the name of the Prophet Wasallam, that are opposite for everything that he stood for This is not the first time. And as those people were defeated before, so will these people be defeated today, inshallah. With us, without us, today, tomorrow, after tomorrow, they will be defeated is With certainty they will be defeated Because that which is built on batil That which is built on falsehood crumbles It doesn't last When the Prophet ﷺ entered the Kaaba When he conquered Mecca And he entered the Kaaba And he saw the, the statues And he pointed with his staff What did he say? The verse that he said جَاءَ الْحَقِّ baṭil, kana Truth comes and falsehood goes Because the nature of falsehood is that it goes and he would say the verse and the, the, the statue would crumble. You know, in front of all of the Quraysh. And the history tells us there were over 360 of these idols. So this happened over 360 times in front of all of the people. I mean, there's no at that point, there's no uh, question if this is a man that's supported by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or if what he says is true. But the Prophet Wasallam, other than the miracle of the story, the Prophet Wasallam teaches us this lesson, that anything that is based on falsehood will crumble. And if you look through history, anything that's not really based on sound principles always falls by the wayside and is forgotten. And even though now we're like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. Really, if you put it in perspective, it's weak. It will pass. We will prevail, inshaAllah. But only if we we'll only have this attitude if we look at the long view of history. If we understand these patterns, like Allah says, ayam nu These days they will art- alternate between people. A day will come, inshallah, when this is not the case. A day will come in which we will be more intelligent, more forward thinking. Rather than consumers, we will be producers. Rather than being you know, ashamed, we will be you know, pro- so on and so forth. These things will pass. And this is why Allah fills the Qur'an. The majority of the Qur'an, over 95% of the Qur'an, over 90% of the hadith are these stories. To teach us these lessons, to teach us these patterns, these sunnas. And these patterns, inshallah, will strengthen us. before we make the dua, just I wanted to make a couple of uh, announcements on September Saturday the 23rd of September at 10 o'clock uh, the Montgomery County Muslim Council is holding a candidates forum for those that are running uh, for office. Uh, I believe countywide, insha'Allah. Uh, flyer is outside, so this is September 23rd, Saturday, September 23rd, 10 to 1:30 p.m. So everyone's invited, insha'Allah, to learn uh, who will be running and you know, and to be more educated. Uh, and as we know, democracy is based on an informed citizenry. So part of our obligation of being citizens is to be informed. So I don't want to say you have to go, but you know, you should. We should go, insha'Allah, to learn. This is part of being. Uh, citizens. The other thing is uh, I didn't want st- to st- talk too much about what happened this morning, but of course uh, You know our thoughts on prayer are with the people of London insha'Allah and, and um, uh, You know wh- whoever did this will be found insha'Allah and and will be dealt with appropriately uh, Needless to say this has nothing to do with our I don't know any of the details other than I just saw the headline uh, And I also wanted to talk uh, very very briefly or I just wanted to highlight that we should remember in our prayers the the plight of the, the our brothers and sisters in Burma. Because unfortunately the situation has has uh, proliferated into, I mean it's already very bad. I mean the, the people of Burma and I think the Syrian people the most. So uh, I don't often talk about these things uh, directly. But I did want to mention them today that we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to ease, have ease for them. Uh, and uh, may those who are able to help, may their hearts be open to help inshallah whether it be Other neighboring countries, or whether it be the leaders themselves, uh, that it's a fundamental human right that we uphold—that everyone has the right to believe in what they choose to believe in. Whoever wills, let them believe. And in this faith, meaning in this verse, and whoever does not, you don't have to force them. And this is a, a universally understood human right, and it's also a right that Islam affords to people, the freedom of movement and the freedom of belief. And I know that sometimes that sounds, it runs counter to what we think, but that is the way that our faith was, and this is how the Prophet Sasam established the state of Medina on those principles. So no one has the right to persecute somebody because of their beliefs, or no one has the right to prevent somebody from, from movement. These are, these are human rights and rights of citizenship. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa Taala to make ease for the people of Syria and the people of Burma, inshaAllah. And may, uh, may He show us a way to help them in, the, in, the, in an effective way, uh, and not in a way that emotionally satisfies us now, but in a way that actually can help them, inshallah. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have mercy on them, on those who have passed, and to, have, to ease the suffering of, of those that are in suffering. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to uh, teach us uh, in the right way, to show us truth as truth, and allow us to follow it, and to show us falsehood as falsehood, and allow us to abstain from it. From Allahumma hadina fee man hadayt, wa'afina اللهم تولنا فيمن توليت وبارك لنا فيما أعطيت وقنا واصرف عنا الشر ما قضيت اللهم ارحم حينا وميتنا وحاضرنا وغائبنا وارفع عيد الأمم عنا اللهم أقمنا بالحق وأقم الحق بنا يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم تب علينا توبة نصوحة تطهرنا بها جسما وقلبا وروحا اللهم اغفر لنا ذنوبنا وإسرافنا في أمرنا اللهم ثبت أقدامنا وانصرنا على القوم الكافرين اللهم احشرنا تحت لواء نبيك صلى الله عليه وسلم يوم القيامة واسقنا من يده الشريفة شرب ماء إن لا نظمأ بعدها أبدا ثم أدخلنا الجنة بغير حساب ولا سابقة عقاب ولا عتاب ومتعنا بالنظر إلى وجهك الكريم في جنات الخلد يا رحيم اللهم اغفر لنا فإنك بنا راحم ولا تعذبنا فإنك علينا قادر اللهم ارفع مقتق وغضبك عنا اللهم ارفع مقتق وغضبك عنا أو من دائرة سخطك إلى دائرة رضاك وافتح علينا فتوح العارفين بك ورزقنا التباع على المصطفى صلى الله عليه وسلم في الاقوال والافعال والاحوال واخر دعوانا ان الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلي اللهم على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم واقم الصلاة ان صلاتك كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوتا